This ministry has been made available by Kenneth Higgins from my Bible Training Center, Nigeria. Then his wife, she got up, her eyes shut, just motivated by the Holy Ghost. She goes and stands right in front of her husband without knowing. Hmm? Points is a finger at him. Hmm? Her eyes are shut, so she's not, she, you know, just motivated by the Holy Ghost and starts talking in tongues. He heard her in English. This is what he heard. You're a pretty looking thing. You pray many times, sometimes fast. Oh God, use me, use me, use me. Now I've told you what to do to help that lady. And here you are, sitting down there, doing nothing. Oh, he said, all right, Lord, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. I'll do it. He said, let that anointing come on me again. Well, then it came on him. Then he went and stood in front of the lady and said, come out of her, thou clean spirit, name of Jesus. You say, what happened? Nothing. She looked just as mad as she was before. Nothing. Not, nothing changed. They bundled her away. But you see, that was the word of knowledge. You know, Lord said, go and stand in front of her. Say, come out of her, thou unclean spirit. So, there was one spirit. It was an unclean spirit. It was influencing her. Then, that was special faith. Call it out in the name of Jesus. So, he did. You know, they took her away. Third day, three o'clock in the afternoon, suddenly her mind became perfectly normal. Was there a manifestation when he said that? No manifestation. Nothing changed. But you see, the command of faith had been given under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. There was another lady. They brought the lady. She had lost her mind. Was also in the parsonage. Couldn't reach out with God's word. So she started praying in the spirit. After about three hours of praying in the spirit, just seeking God for how to help her. This lady, she wasn't saved. She was in her, like in her 60s, you know. So she obviously wasn't going to live too long after. She, her mind used to be all right. She had rejected Jesus then. But now she had lost her mind. She had a chance to have received Jesus. She flunked it. She rejected it. If she dies in this state, she's going to hell. You know? So his heart just went out to her. Oh God, look at this lady. Look at this lady. Child of the devil, bound by the enemy. Oh dear. You know? I was just praying. Then all of a sudden, the lady said the only coherent thing she had ever said that day. She just spoke out and said, will I ever be any normal? She just said that out. He said, as soon as she said it, he said he knew what it was. It came on him like a cloak. I know what he's talking about. I know that feeling exactly. Like a mantle, special faith. Amen. When he comes on me, comes on me like that too sometimes. It was just like you wear something on. Amen. And then he just pointed his finger at her and said, yes, you will in the name of Jesus. And that was all he said. But those weren't just words. It was under the anointing. That was the gift of special faith. You know what happened? Third day, three o'clock in the afternoon. You say, why is it third day, three o'clock? I don't know. Ask God. You know, her mind suddenly became normal. She was instantly delivered. That the third day. So you see, special faith. Amen. Man through manifestations of the Holy Ghost, people are also helped. See, what happens sometimes is this. Many of those so-called deliverances that we do sometimes, we go, we shout, 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 shout. After some time, we get exhausted. Then when we finally get exhausted, sometimes we then get to start yielding to the Holy Ghost. And that's why sometimes a few people get helped. But deliverance shouldn't be trial and error. There is help in Jesus. There is help in Jesus.
So first, through the preaching of the word, second, the teaching of the word and acting on it, third, through manifestations of the Holy Ghost, particularly the gift of special faith, working with descending of spirits and or the word of knowledge. Descending of spirits, working, special faith, working with descending of spirits. Sometimes, rather than descending of spirits, it could be the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge will let you know of the kind and the presence of the spirit. But with descending of spirits, you will actually see it. Now, there's also the place of the inward witness. In your own life, for instance, as a believer, could there be a situation and it's, it's demonic in origin? Yeah. How will you know? You'll know by the inward witness. If there's a situation you need to take authority over the devil concerning, you'll know by the inward witness. You will. You will. And what do you do? Just take your authority. Exercise it. Amen. See, by believing Colossians 1.13 and confessing Colossians 1.13, no matter what you are bound with, you'll be delivered. And the truth is this. It's not really that God is going to deliver you. It's that he already has delivered you. He did it 2,000 years ago through the finished work of redemption. The day you took Jesus as your Savior, confessed him as your Lord, Satan stopped becoming your master. Jesus became your master. So all you need to do is to stand your ground and say, Devil, I've been delivered, but I just didn't know it. Now I know. You don't have any authority over me, over my body, over my mind, over my marriage, over the circumstances of my life. Now I'm standing my ground on what is mine. I'm delivered from the power of darkness. I'm translated into the kingdom of God's son. See, by believing that in your heart and saying that with your mouth, what's going to happen? You will experience it. And real deliverance is from anything that binds. And there's help in Jesus. Praise God. So through manifestations of the Holy Ghost. And then the fourth method whereby deliverance can be administered is through the healing anointing. Through the healing anointing. Is that separate from manifestations of the Spirit? Yeah, separate. There's a sense in which the Holy Ghost is the anointing. So, manifestations of the Spirit, that's the anointing in manifestation, yes. But speaking technically, there's such a thing as the healing anointing, which is different from a manifestation of gifts of healings. They're different. The healing anointing is a tangible substance. It's a tangible substance. It's a heavenly materiality. It not only drives out sicknesses, it also drives out demons. We read in Acts 19, 11, and 12, where the Bible says, And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs and aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. You notice that those spirits were not discerned. No. Paul just laid hands on handkerchiefs and aprons. They were taken to the sick, and to those who were demonized. And what happened? The diseases left them. The demons left them alone. Look at some more scriptures. Luke. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. From verse 17 to 19. It says, And he came down with them and stood in the plain and the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tan Sidon which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Notice verse 18. And they that were vexed with unclean spirits and they were healed. Now how were they healed? 19. And the whole multitude sought to touch him. For there went virtue out of him and healed them all. How were they healed? By touching him. 
by touching him, including those who were vexed with unclean spirits. And what happened? They were healed. The demons left them alone. You see, that power, that healing power, it drives out not only sicknesses, it also drives out demons. It does. It does. Now, people sometimes are anointed with it. You know, God uses some people specially in some ways. So, but you see, whether you are called with a healing anointing or not, if any spirit-filled believer will take time to pray much in other tongues, his spirit will become charged with God's power. And through the laying on of hands, his hands can act as a conductor and conduct that power to set anybody free. Amen. So the healing anointing also drives out demons. It drives out demons. So they don't necessarily have to be discerned and cast out. With that healing power, I've heard people came on the healing line. I laid hands on them with that tangible anointing. I felt to leave my hand and enter their body. I didn't even know they had any demon trouble. Some of them have said, well, I used to hear voices. So, since the day you laid hands on me, it stopped. But that's not what I came for. I came for healing for this. Yeah, but the same power that will heal you will deliver you. Amen. So the healing anointing can also drive out demons and set the captives free. So it's good we know this. Listen, there is help in God. When it comes to diseases of the mind, this is an area where people have been concerned, especially people of faith. People have been concerned, Christian people. Is there any answer for these things? What's the source of these problems? Let me tell you. Like someone has a disease of the mind, it may be a problem in their mind, their minds are not fine. It doesn't always mean it's caused by a demon. Sometimes worry could open the door to the devil. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. The Bible says, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Verse 7 says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If a believer refuses to do that and just keeps worrying, keeps worrying, keeps worrying, keeps worrying, keeps fretting, the Amplified Version says, do not fret, Philippians 4, 6, in the Amplified Classic, says, do not fret or have any anxiety about anything, but in everything, in every circumstance, by prayer and petition, definite requests with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known unto God. So we're not to worry. If a believer starts worrying, it can mess up his mind, big time. He can lose his mind. Sometimes it's fear. Just a fear. And he keeps feeding on that fear, meditating on that fear. Some people, it's guilt. Yeah. Yeah. When God tells us what to think on, he knows what he was doing. The devil's greatest weapon is the power of suggestion. He is always endeavoring to enter into our thought life. Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, says if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Isaiah 26, 3 says, Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, for he trusted in thee. It's important what we do with our minds. Your mind is the door to your spirit. Don't dwell on the devil's thoughts. You know, I'll tell you another thing that could cause someone to lose their mind. You know, you are not resting like you should. 
for instance, you overwork yourself and you're not resting. You could break down physically. Epaphroditus, in Philippians 2, 25 to 30, he did not regard his body. Paul said the guy was going to die if not for God's mercy. Are you listening? So there could be natural causes of mental illnesses. Your brain needs rest. Your brain is a physical case that your mind walks through. You don't give it the rest it needs. You stay awake, you don't rest, your mind could get messed up. Amen. But also, we know that sometimes those conditions in the mind could also be caused by demons. As an example, the madman of Gadara, he was a masochist. Someone that derived sexual pleasure from afflicting himself with pain. How do I know? The Bible tells us. He used to cut himself with stones. And the Bible says he was an unclean spirit. So it was immoral. Do you see that? Usually when it comes to things that are unnatural, usually a demon is behind it. But there's help in God. There's help in God. Let me also say this. Anytime you see somebody doing something that embarrasses the church, a church, a ministry, you know, intimidating a church or a ministry, no, without exception, the person is motivated by wrong spirits. And what do you do? Just take authority over it. Just tell the devil, desist in your maneuvers and stop in your operations in Jesus' name. That's all. Don't go attacking the person. It's unnecessary. Take authority over it in your closet. And that settles it. You see, there is help in God. Whether it's a natural cause or it's a demonic cause, there is help in Jesus. There is help in Jesus. There is help in Jesus. Amen. Sometimes in some of these cases, you see, you know, some of those people, maybe they go to a doctor, they are put on medication. The medication can help put, keep the symptoms down. Are you listening? While they are taking God's word, and God's word is setting them free. Amen. The doctor is fighting the same preacher, the, devil, the same devil the preacher is fighting. Only that he's using natural methods. The preacher is using spiritual methods. Amen. Proverbs 18.9 in the Amplified Bible, it says, He that doesn't use his endeavors to heal himself is partner to him that commits suicide. If you need medical help, get it. Don't feel condemned about it. Are you listening? But in the time being, keep ingesting God's word. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. There's help in Jesus. Praise the Lord. Amen. So that was my 11th point. We can minister deliverance to others. And we talked about how. And then I also said that mental illness could be caused by natural factors. Such as worry, fear, guilt. Or demon activity. But either way, there is a victory in Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the 12th and final point. The 12th and final point. For the sake of this course, there's a Believer's Authority 2 class that takes it to the next level. But for the sake of this class, number 12, we have authority in prayer. When we talk about the Believer's Authority, yes, we have authority over the devil. But listen, we also have authority in prayer as believers. We have authority in prayer. We have authority in prayer. What do I mean by that? 
Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You know, so we are to pray as led by the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost will help us in prayer. He will lead us. Now, John 15, 7 says this. It says, if ye abide in me, and my words abide in you. It says, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. In Isaiah 45, 11, God said, ask of me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the works of my hands, command ye me. Yeah, we have authority in prayer. Now, we don't command him in tones of arrogance, but as a partner with him, as a co-laborer with him. We see an example, for instance, in Genesis chapter 18 of somebody who exercised quite some authority in prayer. Genesis 18. If you read from 22 to 25, see how, you know, there were these three people that came. Two of them must have been, an angel, must have been angels. Then the third must have been the Lord, perhaps a Christophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. You know, Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. You know, so this person talked in the first person and said, shall I do a thing such as destroy Sodom and Gomorrah without telling my friend Abraham? Seeing I know him, you know, he's going to be a great man. He will instruct, he will command his household after him. You know, and God talked it over with his covenant friend. He had just solemnized the covenant with Jehovah. And God talked to him about Sodom and Gomorrah. Then he began to plead his case for Sodom and Gomorrah and said, Okay, what if there are 50 righteous people there? Won't you spare the place? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Listen, that was some audacity. How dare you talk to God like that? Shall not God, the judge of the earth, do right? He's like, you're saying, God, don't tell me you're going to do that. Won't you do what's right? You know. And God wasn't angry. He said, yeah, you're right. If there are 50 righteous, I'll spare the place for their sake. Uh, what of, if there are 40? I'll spare it for them. What if they are 30? I'll say, okay, what if it's 25? Okay, what if it's 20? Okay, let me speak about this once. You know, it's possible that if he had gone down to five that God might have spared the place. But you see, that was some authority that he exercised. Let me tell you something. God is a father. He is a good father. He wants us to talk to him. He wants to do a whole lot for us, if only we will let him. If only we will let him. Isaiah 43, 25 and 26. God's word says, I, even I, am he that blotted out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy iniquities. Then he said, put me in remembrance. Put me in remembrance. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. In another place, he said, bring forth your strong reasons. See, God wants us to plead together. And you know something? In prayer, we can actually plead our case. We can exercise authority. Sometimes you can tell God, God, no, I'm not going to let that happen. And this is why I'm not going to let it happen. Someone once said argumentative prayer could be one of the best kinds of prayer that there is. See, Feeney would get to a place and he would tell God, God, you can't tell me there won't be revival here because there will. And he would start telling God why there will be revival. 
He'll start bringing his word back to him. See, God said, put me in remembrance. Is it because he has amnesia and has lost his memory? No. We are to put him in remembrance of what he said for our own sake. God, this has to happen. We can plead our case about certain situations, about certain things. Brother Hagin talked about a Sunday school superintendent of his, Brother Haynes. The man died. He actually went to heaven, fell, all well. He got to heaven and Jesus told him, you can't stay here. You're going to have to go back. I said, but, but, but. He said, listen, your pastor won't let you stay. You know, then Jesus just pulled the curtain. The man could hear his pastor say, Lord, I'm not going to let him die. <laughs> and this is reason number one, why I won't let him die. This is reason number two, why I won't let him die. This is reason number three. This is reason number four. So I just rebuked this death. See, we have authority. We have authority. We have more authority than we've imagined we did. Talked about Mr. Ruka. Mr. Ruka was his father-in-law. When Mr. Ruka was 72, he was dying. You know, in the hospital. Actually, he was already in a coma. Ah, then he remembered what had happened with Brother Haynes. Another man came back. And he said, I know what I'll do. I'll just rebuke this death. As he was about to do that, then the Lord spoke to him, don't. Now, if God said don't, it's because he cooled. He cooled. But God said don't. He said why? The Lord said, listen, this is the best time for him to die. Let him go now. It's fine to go now. Everything is in place. His finances are in place. His family is in place. Spiritual life is in place. Everything is in place. Let him go now. Then he now said, all right, I'll let him go now, but on one condition. Let him first come out of this coma. Hmm? Let him greet everybody. Hmm? Brother Higgins' wife was his only daughter, was his girl. You know, his baby girl. He loved so much. Let him, you know, greet everybody. Bye-bye. And then I'll let him go. As soon as he got those words out of his mouth, Mr. Ruka came out of the coma. <laughs> then he said, I'm dying. He said, yes, I know it. Then he said he wants to greet everybody. Then he got everybody. The hospital he was in, the kids, his grandkids, he had only two at that time, Brother Higgins' children. They shouldn't let them come in. But when they were going to get permission, they said, look, that man should have died long ago. Bring the kids in, whatever. Do anything you want to do. I won't stop you. So the man told everybody bye-bye. He told his son. His son at that time wasn't living for God. He told that young man, he said, listen, I'm going to heaven now. Hmm? I want you to join me there later. Wow. Yeah, Brother Higgins' dad was an absentee dad. Irresponsible. When the man said that, the man, the, the, the man asked his son, have I ever lied in front of you? Have I ever done this? Oh dear. He ran to the bathroom to cry and to wash his face. He said he wishes he had a father that could say that to him. He was the only father he ever had, the only father figure, you know, well, other than his grandparents too. Then Mr. Ruka said, there has been one fellow up here who has been beckoning to me and trying to get me to come. Obviously an angel. You know. And he told him, he said, yeah, you can go. And he went. See, that's how it ought to be. His mom, when Brother Higgins' mom was 68, she started dying. She was sick. She was dying. He heard that his mom was dying. Well, then he got to praying about it. See, we have rights in prayer. He got to praying about it. The Lord told him, let her go. This is the best time for her to go. Let her go. Not that that's God's highest and best, but because her faith hasn't been so strong, because she hadn't fed it, to, have, to keep her longer, she will suffer. So the Lord told him, listen, let her go now. He said, Lord, look, 
I won't let her go now. If you like, say I'm selfish to think like that. Yes, I'm selfish about this one. I won't let her go now. She's not going now. I'm not going to let her go now. Say, Lord, listen up. If my mom dies now, no problem. I'll love you. You know I love you. And I'll keep serving you. But this is it. I will remind you of it every day. Every day until I die. I said, Lord, remember that time when my mom was sick and I talked to you about it and you let her die. I just wanted you to know that it happened. Then I'll come again the next day and say, you remember that time my mom was sick? You could have done something about it, but you did it. I just wanted to remind you. And then the next day I'll come. I, I, he said, I'll remind you about it every day until I die. He said, and after I die, eh, when eternity comes, throughout eternity, every day, every day, he said, I will hound you over it forever. Ah, when he said that, you know what the Lord told him? He said, oh, okay, 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 what do you want? He said, I want her to be 80. His mother clocked 80 in September. Hallelujah. She died in October. Yeah. See, we have rights in prayer. We have rights in prayer. More rights in prayer than we have imagined. Than we have imagined. See, God promised us. Psalm 90, verse 10, verse 12. He said, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. He said, the number of our days are three score years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be four score years, they are soon cut off. Now, who wrote Psalm 90? Moses did. He's also the one that wrote Psalm 91. The Moses himself lived to be 120. Actually, in Psalm 90, he was lamenting. It's like, oh God, what's this? By the time we are 70, we die. Those who are stronger, 80, they go. You know, so I tell people, God has promised us at least 70 or 80 years. If when you get to be 70, you are satisfied, you can go. That's fine. David died at 70. He was 70 when he died. And the Bible says he was full of years. If you are satisfied at 70, great. If you are not satisfied, keep living. If you get to be 80 and you are satisfied, you can go. If you are not satisfied at 80, keep living. In Psalm 91 verse 16, he said, With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. See, long life is our portion. It's our lot. It belongs to us. In Ephesians 6 verses 1 to 3, the Bible says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. If you want to live long on the earth, and you want it to be well with you, honor your father and your mother. We live in a generation that doesn't know honor. Don't join them. That's the world's way of thinking. Honor elderly people. Honor older people. Honor all men. Actually, the Bible says, honor ministers of the gospel. Be honorable. Then live in line with God's word. See, the Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 10 to 12, says, he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him do good and eschew evil. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Says the face of the Lord is against them that do evil, but the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. If you want to live long, keep your mouth. Keep your mouth. Be a peace seeker. There are people that sow discord among brethren. It's one of the things God hates. There are people that their, their middle name is strive, strivo. 
They is like they take pleasure in fight, in quarrel. The Bible says where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil walk. If you are going to live long, you have to walk in love. You have to walk in love. You have to walk in love. See, the apostle of grace wrote to the church at, Corinth, uh, at Galatia. He said this to them. He said, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he reap. That wasn't written to sinners. It was written to believers. Then he said, he that sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He that sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap life everlasting. Are you listening to me? So we are to live in line with God's word. We're to live in line with God's word. And God's word tells us to walk in love. You know, the Bible says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You can't resist the devil successfully if you are not submitted to God. Remember the centurion in Matthew 8, 5 to 13. The man said, I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this one, go and he goes. Another, come and he comes. The other one, do this and he doeth it. You see, the man was under authority. And that's why he could exercise authority. Are you listening? So we have to live in line with God's word. You see, in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, the Bible says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Verse 6 says, Having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience, when our obedience is fulfilled. Do you see that? So, you can't really claim God's best if you don't give him your best. Long life is God's will. Are you listening? Of course, a few things also come into play. Someone is going to live long. You know? There are natural laws. If it's raining... I thought this was just superstition until I had an experience with lightning. I've had a, more than one experience with lightning, actually. You know? <laughs> but one of them, the thing went through me. God spared my life. Yeah. You know? I went, I held a railing. I put something out in the rain. You know, some of those things, like, now, don't get superstitious and don't get afraid. But there are natural laws. Are you listening? That we need to obey. There are natural laws. Natural, it's raining. The roads are slippery. Are you listening? That's not the time to go 200 kilometers per hour. You may apply your brakes, and because the roads are slippery, it may take one kilometer before the brakes peak. You know, there are just some things that, you know, they call someone for long shot. It doesn't mean the person should take palm leaf or, or banana leaf and try to climb palm tree. God is not going to show him anything. You know, well, that's you need to understand that dialect to understand that, but that's the essence of it. Amen. There are natural laws sometimes, you don't violate those natural laws. Sometimes, let's say I want to travel, and this has happened to me more than once, and I have a check, don't go. Well, I'm not going, I'm not going. You said, But haven't you believed God? Yes, how God is honoring my faith sometimes is by telling me, Wait. Sometimes by telling me, don't go. Sometimes by saying, don't take that route. You see, all these truths work together. Don't just take believer's authority and forget about walking in love. Don't just take believer's authority and forget about being led by the Holy Ghost. 
Everything works together. Why do we teach them like we do? We teach them in compartments because it's easier to teach like that. But this is a part of the whole. Don't take this out of its context and run with it to the exclusion of other truths. Does that make sense? But don't forget, we've got authority. We've got authority. We've got authority over the devil. We've got authority over his wiles. Paul said something. He said, in nothing terrified by your adversaries. He said, this is to them an evident token of perdition. He said, but to you of salvation and that of God. In Philippians 1. He said, whether by life or by death, that Christ may be magnified in my body. You see, even in death, God wants to be glorified in your body. There is a right way to die. There is a right way not to die. What's God's way? He wants you to live long. In Exodus 23, 25 and 26, it says that ye shall serve the Lord thy God, and he will bless thy bread and thy water. It said, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. It said, there shall none cast their young, nor be barren in thy land. Said the number of thy days I will fulfill. So God said He will fulfill the number of our days. That's His plan. That's His will. Praise God. So long life is our portion. We have authority in prayer. And we give scripture John 15, 7, Ephesians 6, 18, Genesis 18, 22 to 25. Thank you, sir. You see. Abraham had those rights in the Old Covenant. We're in the New Covenant established on better promises. So we have the same rights and we have much more. Remember when Moses too interceded for Israel. Praise God. Don't forget that. We've got authority. We've got authority. We've got authority. In Numbers 23.10, that fellow said, he said, let me die the death of the righteous. Let my latter end be like his. See, there is a death that is the death of the righteous. In 2 Peter 1.14, talked about what manner of death he should glorify God. We're to glorify God even in death. Amen. Praise God. I met a few people. One fellow was telling me how he wasn't going to die. How he won't die. He was calling me like 1 a.m., 1.30, 2 a.m. And I told him, I said, you know what? There's no use we argue about it, right? If you can't sleep, I can. Hmm? You know? When we get to heaven, eh, let's talk about it again. We'll find out whether you died or not. You say you won't die. Who, who, do, who will you resemble? Like, leave that thing. The Bible says all things are yours. Whether life, whether death, whether Paul, whether Cephas, whether Apollos, all things are yours. The Bible says what, the outward man perisheth. Your body is decaying. It's growing older. There's still the law of sin and death that's working in it. But the thing is this. We can delay that process. And we can maintain our youth and still be strong in old age and flourishing and live to a good old age. But to say that you won't die, <laughs> except the rapture takes place before then. But to say that you have immortality, not with this body. Not with this body. You have an appointment to keep. It's appointed unto man once to die. You need to keep that appointment too. <laughs> Amen. You know. But I told him, I said, we don't have to argue about it, right? You won't die, right? No problem. We'll find out whether you died or not. When we get to heaven, let's talk about it. So There's no use splitting hairs over it. Praise God. But you see, we can live long. And then you don't have to die prematurely. And you don't have to die of sickness. You can live a long, healthy life. Productive life. 
because that's God's highest and that's God's best. And when it's time to die, there's a right way to die. Praise God. Oh, we have a few questions here. If you still have a question, you could put up your hand. We'll try to get them and we'll try to look at the questions, as many as we can. All right. Given that God has, given that God has done for us what need, what need, hey, sometimes some people, given that God has done for us what he needs to do, is there anything he can do for us outside our authority as believers? Or he cannot do anything outside our involvement? Now, basically, the way we receive from God is by acting on his word. I've actually answered that. Sometimes there could be manifestations of the Spirit where God just initiates something on his own. So sometimes, not because a fellow is exercising his authority, but because the Holy Ghost is a manifestation, things could happen. Does that make sense? Also, we are a body. Somebody could be praying for the person. A baby Christian. Someone can carry the baby Christian on their faith. Amen. Now, what about somebody's only dream is seeing dead people? Seeing only dead people in your dream. You see, when Jesus went to the Mount of Transfiguration, are you listening? Hmm? He saw some dead people. He saw Moses and he saw Elijah. <laughs> you see, you don't have to attack superstitious meanings to those things. Now, if it's not becoming an oppression to you, you know, and it's getting kind of frightening, stand against it and you put an end to it. Simple. Amen. Why should this kind only go out by prayer and fasting when I already have authority? I like that question. First and foremost, you know, in Matthew 17, from verse 14 to 21, Jesus went to the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. The nine disciples were left. And then there was this man who came with his boy who had, was lunatic, the Bible says, and had this thing, you know, a devil that was vexing him, thing would throw him in the fire, throw him in the water. He brought the, the boy to the nine disciples. They couldn't the boy. When Jesus now came, you know, he told Jesus, I took my boy to your disciples, but they couldn't do anything. If you can do something for us. Jesus now, you know, he cast the thing out. They now asked him, why could we not cast it out? Jesus said it was their unbelief. Matthew 17, 19 and 20. He now said, if you have faith as great a mustard seed, you will say, you know, to the mountain, be removed, cast and see, it shall be done. Nothing shall be impossible unto you. Verse 21 now says, how be this kind going not out by prayer and fasting? Now, some people have hinged on that. Don't forget that when Jesus said that, he hadn't gone to the cross. When Jesus said that, he hadn't defeated the devil. Prayer in the Old Testament was still a struggle. And technically, they were still under the Old Covenant. The devil hadn't been brought to naught. Now, is prayer and fasting good today? Yes, it is. What does fasting do? Fasting doesn't change God. God is the same before you fast, when you are fasting, after you get through fasting. But fasting just helps us keep our bodies under. Now, check the epistles, the letters written to the church. You won't find one scripture where the church was instructed to fast. Not one. In the epistles, not one. However, you find that it was implied that we should fast. And we could fast. The early church fasted, Acts 13, Acts 28. So there's nothing wrong with fasting. 
But fasting should be as led by the Holy Ghost. And then have some common sense when you're fasting. You can fast so much until you get to heaven very fast. Are you listening? Sometimes you see people fasting so that God will bless them. It's unbelief. God has already blessed you with all spiritual blessings, heaven, praise, and Christ Jesus. Some people are fasting so that they will have power. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Some of the things people fast for are unscriptural. Why do we fast? Just to keep the body under. 1 Corinthians 9.27 But I keep under my body. I bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Should we keep our bodies under today? Our bodies under today? Yes. Amen. But when it comes to dealing with the devil, we use the name of Jesus. All right. Is it true that when a believer's wife does not regard his authority, a demon will also not regard his authority? It is not true. It is not true. It is not true. It's one of those things that you'll find in Revelation chapter 25. Did you hear what I said? You'll find it in Revelation chapter 25. Of course, there's no Revelation 25. The book of Revelation ends in chapter 22. I'm saying it's not in the Bible. That if his wife doesn't regard his authority, demons too won't regard his authority. No, that's not true. There's no scripture for it. She may just be rebellious. That's all. How can authority be exercised over someone who claims to love you to your front, yet speaks evil at your back? Pray for him or stand against him. Love him. Just love him. And pray God's blessings on him. Amen. Of course, also be wise. If you can see that someone really is not, is two-faced, is double-tongued, where you are concerned, you'll be stupid to put your trust Bible says he who puts his trust in an unfaithful person is like a broken tooth. Amen. You don't want to do that. But should you pray against them? No, love them. You don't have authority over their will. If they choose to stay canal, it's, it's sad, but it's their choice. Just love them, pray for them, and be wise. How? Okay, this came recently. Under identity. Can we clarify with some scriptures of who you are, especially with helping young girls overcome lesbianism? Who you are, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. There are some scriptures in the Bible that tell us who we are, what we have, what we can do because we're in Christ. There's this little mini book by Kenneth e. Hagin. The title is In Him. That scripture has, uh, that book has those scriptures at the back of it. Now, what I did, 1989, I actually sat down, I wrote all of them out. Then I made a confession out of each of them. Are you listening? Then I began to say them with my mouth because I believe them in my heart. And I've used that to study. I use that every year in my study of God's word. And I found that the more I confess who I am in Christ, the more real it becomes to me. See, faith's confessions create realities. The more you confess it, the more real it becomes to you. Now, when it comes to homosexuality, lesbianism, you know, the Bible actually says in Romans 1, that because they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Men walking, uh, uh, men with men, walking that which is unseemly, receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat, which was proper. Now, the Bible calls it uncleanness. The Bible calls it the loss of their heart, their unregenerate heart. So notice, homosexuality and lesbianism was called uncleanness. If you go to the list in Galatians 5, 
from 19 to 21, when the Bible was talking about lusts of the flesh, works of the flesh, it says now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, amen, lasciviousness, uncleanness. So those things are works of the flesh. Now a demon oftentimes comes to enforce it. It's not a state of birth, it's a state of mind. So how do you help them? Just show them from God's word. Amen. If the person is born again, they have to walk in the spirit. And that's how they won't fulfill the loss of the flesh. Is it possible sometimes there's demon activity involved? Yeah. If that's the case, use your authority in the name of Jesus. But you see, Jesus died for homosexuals too, right? And he loves them. He hates sin, but he loves the sinner. Praise God. So we love people. But we have to help them learn to take a stand against wrongdoing. And then show them from God's word that there's help in God. Please, sir, can we meet... Okay, someone... The person that said this, just... Um, that sent that... Just see Brother Lucky after. And he'll tell you what to do. If Jesus is seated on the right side of God... How does this explain equality of Jesus and God the Father? Well, the Bible says, I and my Father are one. Jesus is called God. You know, he said, thy throne. God the Father said to him, thy throne, O God, is forever. Now, that somebody is in somebody's right hand. Okay, where should he be? Seated on the Father's lap. You know, just me thinking. You know, that he's on his right hand doesn't make him not equal to him. Please explain in details. John 19.30, it is finished. What really finished? I talked about that yesterday. As soon as he said that, the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place was torn in two, indicating that God's presence was no longer going to be shot in an earth-made tabernacle. He now was going to dwell in us. Now, that Holy of Holies actually was part of the worship and the sacrifice in the Old Covenant. That was when the Old Testament finished. Jesus fulfilled the law and set it aside. Was redemption finished by this time? It wasn't finished. Redemption was just starting. Because we know for redemption to be finished, Hebrews 9 says he went into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God for us. He wasn't yet there. Do you remember when Jesus was raised from the dead? When Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and, you know, he said, Mary, then she was going to touch him. Then he said, touch me not. I'm not yet ascended to my God and your God, my Father and your Father. He now told her, go to my disciples and Peter and tell them to wait for me in Galilee, like I said. Now, the same day, Matthew 28, uh, John 20, just read all the accounts of his resurrection. That same evening, Sunday evening, he appeared to the ten. Uh, Thomas was a wall, away without official leave. We don't know where he went. You know, Judas had hung himself, but the ten were gathered together. He appeared in their midst. Then he told them, handle me. Obviously, in the morning he said, don't handle me. In the evening he said, handle me. Now, why could they handle him? He gives us a clue in the morning. He said, I'm not yet ascended to my God and your God. So he must have ascended to the Father. This was days after he was raised from the dead. So redemption was not complete until that happened. And then even after that, he led captivity captive. He preached to the souls in prison, Abraham's bosom, you know, and all that. So when he said it is finished, was when the old covenant finished. But the truth also is this. The moment he hung on the cross, 
As far as God was concerned, our redemption was already becoming a fact. Amen. We don't have to split hairs over it. You don't have to go and meet your pastor. In case it's Easter messages, it is finished. When Jesus said in John 19.30, it is finished, your problems are finished. Your problems are finished because of redemption, right? We don't have to split hairs over it. Amen. Please explain what Jesus means in Luke 5.34 on fasting. What is your take on observing Lent as done by some Orthodox churches? I just talked about fasting. You know, fasting should be as led by the Spirit of God. It seems some people are never led to fast. I wonder why. <laughs> really, they just indulge their bodies. Brother Hagin actually said his prayer and fast days used to be Tuesdays and Thursdays. He fasted 24 hours, both days, every week. And he made a lot of spiritual progress doing that. He said until one day, the Lord said to him, I would rather have you lead a fasted life than having days and periods of fasting. He said, what's a fasted life? The Lord said to him, don't ever eat all you want to. Just keep your body under all the time. Amen. So when he had meetings, he took just a meal a day. Sometimes for a little extra strength, he took a second meal. But he just endeavored to keep his body under all the time. And that's what a fast will do. Sometimes we get religious about fasting. You know, we get religious. I will be blessed this year. Why? Because I fasted. You see, there are years I fasted. There are years I didn't fast. I've noticed I was blessed all the same. As long as I believe God. And then... I endeavor to be led by the Spirit. And He has led me, and He leads me oftentimes just to take some time off and pray and seek the Lord and get into the Word. If you are fasting and you are not praying, you are starving. You are not fasting. What does Pastor Hagin mean by a fasted life? Well, Brother Hagin said it, not Pastor Hagin. Pastor Hagin is Kenneth W. Hagin. Brother Hagin is Kenneth E. Hagin. You know, in African culture, you know, you want to say, some people, I've heard somebody say, how dare you call Papa Hagin, Brother Hagin? You know, don't you, can't you call him Bishop Hagin? Can't you call him? Well, but there's Pastor Hagin. Pastor Hagin is his son. Pastor Hagin is the president of Rema now. He's the one pastor in the church. Brother Hagin wasn't the pastor of the church. He never pastored the church. His son could hardly ever get him to preach in that church. Maybe just once. You know, and he never interfered with the running of Rema Bible Church. He wasn't the pastor. He was a member like anybody else, praise God. But he was the president of Kenneth Hagin Ministries as well as Rema Bible Training Center. I think I've answered that question, right? About the fasted life. All right. Is it possible for a Christian to fall from grace? Interesting, interesting. Now, because we don't have so much time, I won't be able to go at length into this. But what this person probably means is a little different from what they are saying. Maybe the person is trying to ask about once saved, always saved. That is that true? Well, there's such a thing as an unpardonable sin. Hebrews 6, from verse 4 to 6, says it is impossible for those who are once enlightened, tasted of the heavenly gift, made partakers of the Holy Ghost, tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. And then Hebrews 10, 26 to 28 says, If we sin willfully... After we have received knowledge of the truth, there remained no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for judgment and fearing indignation. Says he that sinned under Moses' law died without mercy. Of how much sorrow punishment suppose ye shall be thought worthy, who are trodden underfoot the Son of God, counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and had done despite unto the Spirit of grace. See, both scriptures are talking about the same thing. It's the unpardonable sin. Let me tell you something. Most Christians can't commit it because they don't even qualify. It takes a mature believer 
who is grown in the things of God, who has the power of God working in his life, if that person willfully turns his back on Jesus and says he's not serving Jesus again, not that the devil tempted him, not that he was under pressure, not under any form of pressure, but his own volition, most people don't commit it. And I know you didn't ask that because you were trying to commit it. The person who asked it, you understand? I've never met one person who committed it yet. I haven't. Brother Higgins said in 70 years of being a Christian and 69 years in ministry, he met only three people that committed it. Amen. Well, in Believer's Authority 2 class, we talk a little more about that. That's another reason why you should come to level 2. And if you are not a student, get to be a student. Now, someone asked, he said, what about, what about eternal security? Yeah, I'll tell you. I believe in eternal security. Provided you stay in Christ, you are eternally secure. But you have a volition. Amen. How did you get saved? By receiving Jesus. By an act of your will. Is it possible for you to have received Jesus and not be walking in close fellowship with him? Yes. Does that mean you are not saved? You are saved. You are God's child. You are just not walking closely with him. Now, can you get unsaved? Possibly. How? How did you get saved? By receiving Jesus. If by an act of your will you reject Jesus, you, you have a free will. You have a free will. Well, we'll talk about that in level two. We exercise authority over our domain, you thought. Your family is your domain. And on the evil, if the evil day shows up, you pray all you know, declare all you can, yet your loved one still died. What happened in such a situation? Now, you see, your family, if it's your father now or your brother, your authority is reduced. When your children, when I said your domain, your children, when they are under you, after your children are grown, they need to exercise their own authority. And if they don't exercise it, they don't exercise it. It's not your fault. Amen. All right. We are all going to be done soon. If I should put my faith on the word alone and not on manifestation of the spirit. Well, I didn't say that. Where is the place of praying for manifestation of the spirit in a service? Hmm. Our faith should be in the word of God. We should be put the word of God first. Also, we should be open to the move of the spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4 says that your faith, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. 5 says that your faith shall not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So we should have faith in the power of God, but we should put our faith in the written word of God first. If I can't exercise my spiritual authority on another's will, how do I handle a person standing in the way of a certain progress I need? Now, if it's a progress you need, you can believe God. And God will bring it to you. If somebody is saying it won't come this way, God has a thousand and one ways he can make it happen. Yeah. In dealing with habits, how do I handle relapses? And how do I prevent them by exercising my spiritual authority? By staying in the word. Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So how do you keep your freedom? By standing fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. So you constantly feed your spirit on God's word along those lanes. And anytime the devil shows up and tries to put it back on you, say, no, you don't. I am free. The law of the spirit of life, Romans 8, 2, in Christ Jesus, has made me free from the law of sin and death. How do we minister or preach healing? To a person in need of 
medical healing, but stubborn about hearing the word. If somebody doesn't want to hear the word, what can you do? What can you do? You can't force it. There is no question. Okay, no questions from Facebook. We had said anybody who has any questions on Facebook should send them. Nobody sent them. So it looks like the people on Facebook were listening better than the people in class. No, I'm just kidding. People in class were listening better. Amen. How possible is it for the Holy Ghost to dwell in a man's spirit and a demon dwell in the man's soul? Please, can you explain further? Man is a spirit. He has a soul. Your soul is not your spirit. Your soul consists of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Amen. Your spirit is the part of you that was recreated at the new birth. Your soul is not the part of you that got saved. It's your spirit. Praise God. All the questions are answered. Amen. Let's just say this together. I've got authority, I've got authority. Over, the over the devil, over his cohorts. Over his cohorts. In, my In my life, I reign as a king. I take my place. I take my place. In my authority. Amen. The person with stomach ulcer. Are you listening? There's someone with stomach ulcer. You've got authority over that body of yours. Yeah. And that doesn't have to continue. Yeah. That doesn't have to continue. Someone, even having migraine headaches, left side of your head. Are you listening? You've heard about the believer's authority. It doesn't have to stay. The truth is this. You are healed in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. There's someone with a, a pain on their knee. Your left knee. I don't know. Maybe it was an accident. Your left knee. Terrible excruciating pain. In the name of Jesus. Be made whole now. Amen. Amen. The power of God surges through that knee. And you're healed now. Amen. Amen. We've got authority over the devil. We've got authority over the devil. And we exercise that authority. We exercise that authority. We exercise that authority. We exercise that authority. Someone you're listening to me, you were told you don't have many more days to live. Listen, you will live and you will not die. Amen. That's what the word of God says. Believe what the word says. Regardless of the doctor's report. The doctor is doing the best that they know. Thank God for them. But thank God we have inside information. You've got authority. You've got authority. You've got authority. Amen. Let's just lift up our hands and give him thanks. He's a good God. Amen. For more information and inquiries, please visit our website www.remanigeria.com or you can reach us on 08100163948 or 08076576163.